Okay, let's pretend that you have access to a time machine that can take you anywhere in human history. And you choose Tuesday, November 14th, 1972. Why do you choose that day? I, I don't know. I assume you have your reasons. I'm not a nosy person. So you're going to watch some TV that night. And TV at that time consists of three major commercial networks. So what choices do you have? Well, you have Bonanza on NBC, Marcus Welby on ABC, and Hawaii Five-0 on CBS. And there's a new show on CBS right before Hawaii Five-0. It's a sitcom called Maud, and the episode airing tonight is called Maud's Dilemma, the first of two parts. Maud's Dilemma is whether or not to get an abortion, and the episodes will ignite a firestorm of protest that will drive the idea of abortion and even the mention of the word itself virtually off of network TV for the next 15 years. I'm starting to think that maybe we should do a potluck thing. Potluck, potluck. The potluck is going really great. A potluck. Seriously. Seriously. This is the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck. Welcome to the Potluck. I'm David Inman. The biggest TV story of the early 1970s was the immediate, overwhelming success of All in the Family. It was a sitcom filmed before a live audience about a white, middle-aged, blue-collar bigot and his family. Archie Bunker, as played by Carol O'Connor, was an opinionated loading dock worker who found himself besieged by a modern world where women and minorities demanded equality and his belief in old-fashioned stereotypes and the superiority of the white male was challenged at every turn. Archie held fast, idealizing the past and expressing himself in colorful language, including a wide variety of racial slurs that had never, ever been heard before on network TV. Our world is coming crumbling down. The coons are coming. Archie, 12% of the population is black. There should be a lot of black families living out here. Yeah, this is only a beginning, but I think it's wonderful. Wonderful, huh? Well, let's see how wonderful it is when a watermelon rinds come flying out the window. All in the Family aired on CBS, the same network that had canceled the Smothers Brothers just two years earlier because their political satire was too controversial. Clearly, times had changed. All in the Family had something for everyone. Conservatives loved the show because they loved Archie. Liberals loved the show because Archie got his comeuppance in every episode. Here, for instance, is a scene from one of my very favorite All in the Family episodes, where the bunkers are paid a visit by Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, yeah. I think that, I mean, if God had meant us to be together, he'd have put us together. Well, look what he'd done. He put you over in Africa, he put the rest of us in all the white countries. <laughs> Well, you must have told him where we were because somebody came and got it. (laughs) 
I mean, uh, there was work for us. <laughs> I mean, and uh, how could you resist? Free transportation, room, board, chains. <laughs> the co-creator of All in the Family, Norman Lear, was old friends with actress B. Arthur, known at that point mainly for her work on Broadway. In 1966, she won a Tony Award as the wise-cracking sidekick of Angela Lansbury in the original production of Mame. Arthur came to the West Coast in 1971 to visit her husband, Gene Sachs, who was directing a movie. Lear talked Arthur into appearing on an episode of All in the Family as Maud, the outspoken liberal cousin of Archie's wife, Edith, played by Gene Stapleton. This country was ruined by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. <laughs> You're fat. <laughs> Sticks and stones may break my bones, but Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Archie, you promised never to say that name again in front of more. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. This whole family was for Roosevelt. That was for two chimes, but that was it. We didn't know the guy was going to hang on to the job like a pope. He hung on. To save the country. The people adored him. He was a saint. That man had charisma. I don't care if he was sick. <laughs> he always had his big mouth open at them fireside chats. Those fireside chats kept this country informed. And one, my friends, from Roosevelt was worth a barrel full of... Let me make this perfectly clear. <laughs> oh. Now you're wrapping my president, huh? Well, let me tell you one thing about Richard E. Nixon. <laughs> he knows how to keep his wife at home. Roosevelt could never do that with Eleanor. She was always out on a loose, running around with the collars, telling them they was getting the short end of the stick. She was the one that discovered the collars in this country. We never knew they was there. Maud was everything Archie hated, and vice versa. CBS programmer Fred Silverman saw the show and immediately got on the phone with Lear, strongly suggesting that Maud be given her own series. Maud found a place on the CBS schedule the following fall with a theme performed by Donnie Hathaway. Lady Godiva was a freedom rider. She didn't care if the whole world. Joan of Arc with the Lord to guide her She was a sister who really could Isadora was the first property Angel that she showed up oh, yeah. And when the country was falling apart Betsy Ross got it all sold up And then there's Maud 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 Compromising, enterprising, anything but tranquilizing. Right Maud Finley was designed to lampoon liberals in the same way Archie Bunker was created to skewer conservatives. She was loud and self-righteous. In her desire to be a friend to her African-American housekeeper, she could come off as patronizing. Walter, her fourth husband, was played by Bill Macy. They'd been married only four years, and the relationship could be stormy. They loved each other, but often jousted verbally. 
Maud's best-known catchphrase at the time was aimed at him. God will get you for that. But like Archie Bunker, Maud was much more than a stereotype. She was a well-rounded character with a recognizable humanity. And after years as a dependable actress on Broadway, B. Arthur was suddenly a TV star. It hardly needs to be said that she nailed the role, getting more comic mileage out of an icy stare than the world's greatest joke. Maud began tackling controversial topics right out of the gate, from psychiatric therapy to black militants to modern morality, such as in the episode where Maud's daughter Carol, played by Adrian Barbeau, starts sleeping with one of Maud's old boyfriends. The ninth episode of the series, airing on November 14th, was Maud's Dilemma. It starts like this. Maud isn't around, but her daughter Carol is in the house explaining that newfangled title, Ms., to the family made Florida, played by Esther Roll. Maud's friend Vivian enters, and then Maud enters, clearly distraught. Carol and Florida exit, and Vivian sits down with Maud, her best friend. Vivian, how long have we known each other? 22 years. 22 years. We've been through an awful lot together. A lot. Six husbands, your two, my four. For 22 years, Vivian, we've been, we've been everything to each other. I mean, there wasn't a confidence that we couldn't share. We've, we've been like sisters, Vivian. Like, like sisters, Maud. Then can I trust you to keep a secret? <laughs> Don't look at me, Viv. <laughs> Vivian, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Maud. Maud. Maud, please pull my leg. Vivian, at age 62, I'll be the mother of an Eagle Scout. For a story about abortion, Maud's dilemma is loaded with laughs and slapstick. When Walter finds out Maud's pregnant, he chokes on a chicken bone. There are a lot of jokes about childbirth and potty chairs. And when it comes time to talk seriously about Maud's condition, she sits down and has a drink with Walter. Make it a double, she says. I'm drinking for two now. Maud's daughter Carol keeps suggesting the option of an abortion to Maud. At that point, abortion was legal in New York State, where the show takes place. The U.S. Supreme Court wouldn't rule abortion was legal nationwide for another few months. Carol talks about the safety of the procedure compared to the way it used to be, and as you watch the scene, you can't help but feel that she's speaking to more than just Maud. You know, I've been thinking, there is no earthly reason for you to go through with this at your age. You know it, I know it, Walter knows it. I don't it. want you I... to talk of just no, don't wait, talk about I it. I didn't now, say please. anything, but now that you mentioned it... It's legal in New York now, isn't it? Oh, of course it is, Walter. Mother, I don't understand your hesitancy. When they made it a law, you were for it. Of course! I wasn't pregnant then! 
Mother, it's ridiculous. My saying this to you, we're free. We finally have the right to decide what we can do with our own bodies. All right, then. Will you please get yours into the kitchen? You're just scared. I am not scared. You are, and it's as simple as going to the dentist. Now I'm scared. Mother, listen to me. It's a simple operation oh. now. But when you were growing up, it was illegal. And it was dangerous, and it was sinister, and you've never gotten over that. Now, you tell me that's not true. It's not true. And you're right. I've never gotten over it. It's not your fault. When you were young, abortion was a dirty word. It's not anymore. Now, you think about that. Part two of Maud's dilemma is more about a lapse in communication between Maud and Walter. She thinks he wants to have the baby, and he tells her to do what makes her happy. It isn't until the end of the episode that he is honest with her, that having a child has never been a priority for him. And because Maud is age 47, there's a real health concern. He then reaffirms her right to make the choice about her child, and again, his response seems to be aimed at more than just Maud. I'm happy to become a father because you want to have a baby, not because I want to become a father. Jen. <laughs> Walter, what are you trying to do? You pick up two cards and you gin. Now, wait a second, Maud. Were you having the baby because you thought I wanted it? Well, you do, don't you? Sweetheart, would it disappoint you too much to learn that becoming a father was never one of my life's ambitions? I, I don't know why. For years, I used to feel guilty about it. For years, people told me I was nuts or selfish. How can I not love kids? Well, I do love kids, but they don't have to be mine. That's probably the worst confession I'll ever make. Do you hate me? Of course not, darling. I love you. I love you, and I love my life. Jen. I take it all back! <laughs> what are you trying to do to me? I don't even have time to sort my cards, and you're ginning out on me. Forget the cards, Mort. We have something much more important to talk about. What, you finally decided you do want a pickle? <laughs> Mort, I want you to have whatever it is you want. Does that include the baby? Well, it did when... when I thought you wanted it. Well, Mort... I think it would be wrong to have a child at our age. Oh, so do I, Walter. Oh, Walter, so do I. We'd make awful parents. Oh, impatient, irascible. Awful. It's just oh, not our time well, of life. Well, for other people, it might be fine, but for us, I, I don't think it would be fair to anybody. Oh, Walter, hold me closer. Are you frightened more? About the operation, I oh, mean. Oh, don't be ridiculous, darling. Why should I be frightened? Were you frightened of the vasectomy? <laughs> said, were you frightened about the vasectomy? I didn't have it. <laughs> you see, I was psychologically unprepared. 
You can ask Arthur. Uh -huh. Arthur's a doctor. Honey, he told it's me that. It's all right. It's all right. Just tell me, Walter, that I'm doing the right thing, not having the baby. For you, Maud, for me. In the privacy of our own lives, you're doing the right thing. I love you, Walter Finley. Some parts of Maud's dilemma are a little bit too sitcomish. Most notably, the big scene where Walter chokes on a chicken. But the episodes bring up topics and viewpoints that would be just as controversial today, maybe even more so. Maud's dilemma actually began as a script about the subject of vasectomies, and the pregnant woman was Maud's friend Vivian. The show's executive producer, Norman Lear, read the script. He decided the wrong woman was getting the laughs, that Maud herself should be pregnant. The more interesting story seemed to me, what would this 47-year-old woman really do in her life, Lear told the Los Angeles Times. And the conclusion we reached was that her family would be thoroughly involved in the deepest concern about all this. We knew where the daughter would be, and that Maud would be absolutely torn, but that she'd come down on the side, given her age, of not having a child. The storyline for Maud's Dilemma was written by Austin and Irma Kalish, who also wrote episodes on sensitive subjects for All in the Family including the episode where Edith is diagnosed with breast cancer and another episode where Gloria is sexually assaulted. What's remarkable is that on its first showing, only two CBS affiliates declined to air the episodes. The stations were in Illinois, Peoria, and Champaign, and they were both owned by the same company. The stations received a total of about 750 letters and hundreds of phone calls about pulling the episodes. Station management claimed that they ran two to one in favor of the station. The Peoria Journal Star also editorialized in favor of the station. Nationwide, CBS received about 7,000 letters about the show. But again, all the major drama seemed to be in just two small cities. America at large didn't seem to be too upset with Maud Findlay for having an abortion. And then the rerun season came. Here's Norman Lear. We did the two episodes. Uh, we had the best expertise we could find advising us on all matters of, uh, of these. We, we, we put a woman, we wrote a character in who was a great friend of Maud who was, had four children, same age, pregnant with her fifth. In these two episodes, she elected to have a child. She could not think in a million years about not having a child. And Maud elected, you know, so we balanced it as much as we could. The interesting thing about controversy is that these two episodes aired without any controversy or any problem. No letters to the editor? No death threats? No, nothing significant at all. Nothing. But when the shows were about to go into reruns, that's when the religious right took off. By the time Maud's Dilemma was rerun the following August, the United States Catholic Conference officially got into the act. 
and as a result, 39 CBS affiliates refused to run the shows, and CBS received 17,000 letters of protest. B. Arthur said that many of these viewers felt betrayed by Maud. The amount of mail was incredible. I can't call it hate mail, although there were a few that said, die, die. But most were intelligent people who were deeply offended and very emotional about it. I think the problem was I had become a sort of Joan of Arc for the middle-aged woman. People were saying it was so refreshing a woman came along who was a real woman. Not like Donna Reed. And I think when I came out with this, it was almost treasonous. A personal attack. There were also lie-down protests where Lear's car was blocked by people prostrated in the street. The same thing happened to CBS chief William Paley, but none of the outcries stopped what happened on the show. After conferring with her husband and consulting her own conscience, Maud made a choice. And in cities where the episodes did air, people tuned in. CBS estimated that as many as 65 million people saw the shows in first run or as a rerun. But as a result of the outcry over Maud's dilemma, the mention of abortion all but disappeared from network TV for a while. Then in 1989, a couple of things happened. The first was a TV movie based on the Roe v. Wade landmark abortion case that was argued before the Supreme Court. Then came an episode of the PBS series Degrassi High, where Erica, a 16-year-old, got an abortion. Now, since then, there have been abortion storylines on Friday Night Lights, Grey's Anatomy, Parenthood, Sons of Anarchy, and Scandal, to name just a few. As for Maud, the series, it ran six seasons. At that point, Arthur was ready to move on to something else. But Lear had one more offer to dangle in front of her, in the final three episodes of the series, Maud goes to Washington as a congresswoman with a new supporting cast. But Arthur was ready to hang it up, and for the most part she shied away from TV until the mid-1980s when she received a pilot from Susan Harris, the same woman who wrote the teleplay for Maud's Dilemma. It was called The Golden Girls. By the time Maud ended its run, Arthur had had a lot of time to think about Maud's dilemma, and her viewpoint had evolved. At this point in my life, I don't know if I would permit the show to end the way it did. I really don't know. The Incredible Inman's pop culture potluck is pretty much me, David Inman. My wife Joyce Inman supplied the voice of B. Arthur in this episode. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing to us on iTunes and rating us. That helps other people find the podcast. You can listen to other episodes on the Incredible Inman Facebook page or go to IncredibleInman.com and the podcast page. See you later.